Welcome to episode 297 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. Joining me as usual, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. It's quite musical. Thank you. La La Land. I, I wasn't necessarily saying it was... Yeah, not all music is good. I just it had a musical quality to it. Yeah. Am I to take from your singing introduction to the podcast that you're in good form, Jordan? Yes, I am in good form. Spirits. But, good spirits, spirits are high. The spirits are high. <laughs> are they higher than they would have been if we had been you able betcha, to record you it? You betcha. <laughs> okay, so this isn't by design entirely that we're only doing a podcast now. Uh, it just didn't quite work out for us to get one last week. And you know what? I think for all parties involved, for us, certainly for you, most definitely, that is probably for the best. So instead, here we are recording our first podcast of the regular season with the Milwaukee Bucks of four and two. And if you told us that a couple of weeks ago, we'd be like, yeah, OK, last two games. OK, wasn't. Wasn't the easiest start. There's some decent teams, you know. It's gonna take a bit to get into things. Four and two, that's fine. Having watched it all play out, um, <laughs> there's a lot more to untangle than that. The start has certainly been a lot more complicated and troubling than we would have hoped in many ways. But I think we are coming to all of you now at the perfect time because. We can't say the Bucks have definitely come out the other side of it, but they're showing signs of coming out of the other side of it pretty quickly. They've won two games in a row, and they absolutely blew out the Magic on the road. They returned home second night of a back-to-back to beat the Raptors, and I think did so pretty convincingly, more so than the score suggested, but I feel like Jordan has different thoughts. We haven't actually spoken on that game, but I've read his stuff, and I feel like Jordan was Jordan was going through it a bit more watching that game live than I was watching it the next morning. So we'll probably get into all of that. What we're going to do, rather than going game by game through six games that all of you have already watched, um, that would seem like something that would be incredibly boring. Jordan has three points lined up. I have three points lined up. And we're going to use them as kind of jumping off points, discussions of key issues, key things we've noticed even with the books through these first six games. And I guess from there, it will involve us jumping to and fro between all of those contests so far. Does it sound good to you, Jordan? It sounds good to me. Okay. Without further ado then, Jordan, you can get us started. What's the first discussion point you're bringing to the table? Well, let's start with the player that makes a uh, this title whole thing tick. Yeah. 
Yeah, Giannis. Let's do Giannis. Um, this would have been, again, like anything Bucks podcast related, this would have been a different discussion um, if we did this maybe after the Celtics game, after the Magic game. It's honestly just his performance against the Raptors changes this discussion in a big different way because he was just flat out incredible uh, in that game. Like every minute, pretty much. I didn't think there was pretty much any like flaw outside of maybe I think he had like three turnovers, but that's kind of to be expected when he just handles the ball as much as he does. But I mean, you and I, I know we were talking uh, repeatedly throughout different games and just talking about uh, um, Giannis and it was, it was getting dark pretty quickly, especially that mad that start to the magic game. Oh boy. Oh my god. That was I don't know. I I mean we we look at it like Giannis following out or having like those kind of when he doesn't have it you can kind of tell right away. Um but I just thought like, you know, you you saw like how they used him. I know there was a lot of like handoff action and they were kind of getting him rolling to the rim to make, you know, get easy shots that way. And obviously the Bucks started terribly that night too with the magic hitting like every shot for the first seven minutes um but i just thought Giannis was kind of lazy honestly i just thought like the threes that he was shooting that you know again i know everybody is kind of holding their breath that he's a shooter and everything pointer you're just kind of like oh what does it look like even if it misses like it looks like it's in rhythm it's you know we break it down to the nth degree with him but I just thought, like, shooting so early in the shot clock and just what he's settling for, I just thought it was honestly just lazy. And for that whole first half, I mean, you said it between us. Um, he just kind of – the Bucks played way better without him on the floor. And so it much better. And it wasn't that – That game turned, as I tweeted at the time, on Bud taking all five starters out. Mm-hmm. That's right, and yeah, that that basically it was taking all the starters out. Adding it wasn't quite that because there was there was a spell where Middleton was there. I think it was maybe four starters and Middleton, but then Middleton came out for another reserve, and it was five bench guys. It was Dante and Sterling, Urson, Robin, George Hill. That would sound right. Uh, yeah. Um, and you're like, oh, this is a different. This is this is like the team that won all those games last year, except it was literally none of the players that we most readily associate with that season. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a weird, again, weird start, weird first half until like the floodgates basically opened and the magic <laughs> all of a sudden just like couldn't hit anything, but it wasn't, I mean, that second half, I know I tweeted after the Raptors game, like the last six quarters that Giannis has played again, this is before the Timberwolves game Monday night, but it's, turns like that it's crazy just how when he finds that groove and again his his version of a groove is so much higher than pretty much anyone else on the bucks um it's incredible and it's just incredible like how he kind of recalibrates but again um that first half was just oh boy it was it was rough with a capital r <laughs> i think it's interesting when you say when he finds his groove because i think increasingly with him he's either in his groove or he's not. There is no in-between. It just so happens that he's good enough that he's able to be in his groove 85, 90% mm-hmm. of the time. 
Um, but I, I'm not sure there's a middle ground. I just think when it's not happening, it gets pretty bad pretty quickly. That is in a relative sense. I mean, I was kind of getting frustrated through the first two or three games when you'd see these like statistical achievements. No player in the NBA ever through the first two games has amassed you know X, Y, and Z. And you're like, oh yeah, okay, that's great. He gets numbers. They weren't empty numbers, but he wasn't playing well. And like, it's just not interesting to me. As someone, as someone who watches Giannis every night and has done for multiple years now, much like you, much like everyone listening, I'm not. I couldn't care less about. Wow, Giannis had 18 rebounds tonight, or he did this or that. It's that's not what it's about. We're we're used to that. Like that is who he is. He puts up crazy numbers. It's how is he playing while doing that? Like he is big enough. He is long enough. I don't know if you've noticed, Jordan. This is I don't. I shouldn't sidetrack us like this so early. Just a weird Andre Drummond conversation bubbling up in recent days. Have you have you caught some of this? I know Kevin Durant had something to say, and that may be like the source of it. Contract year, Andre Drummond, or or I... I've no. Is it is it a contract year? I have no idea. Basically, there's been his numbers are crazy to start the year. Like if you're to just look at his numbers, you're like, oh my god, this guy, this guy's an MVP candidate. And yet, Andrew Drummond always puts up crazy numbers. Like, he's he's the leading rebounder in the NBA. That's what he does. He's good for probably 15, 16 points a night. Like, all that stuff happens. But it doesn't really mean anything. It's not to say his numbers are entirely empty. It's just that he can't... They're not necessarily representative of how he's otherwise impacting a game. And the thing with anyone who's really familiar with Giannis and has watched Giannis for years is, you know... Every number, when he's at his best, you can kind of correlate with play X or play Y during the game where you're like, oh, I remember that one of those five blocks because this is what happened and that affected the game this way. This assist went to here for this. Do you get what I'm saying somewhat? There's not, it never feels like there's these kind of holes in it where you're like, oh, these are good numbers, but what did he mm. do to get them? It's just it's just not something that's a part of his game. You remember, you can very clearly see the progression. You're like, okay, Giannis got 14 first quarter points. He did that because he came out of the blocks. He got out in transition twice. He dunked on three guys. You know, you get a very clear picture that sticks with you where it all comes together and it all makes sense. And that wasn't happening. There was something of a disconnect between how he was actually playing. Um, and of course, again, this is relative to how we know he can play through the first few games and what the numbers were saying. And, I mean, lazy was the term you were using for how he looked that first half, I guess, um, against the Magic. I think it was worse than that. I, I just thought his decisions were, like, brain-dead. He's just completely brainless. You're like, what is, what is this? Why is he doing this? And it wasn't just that game. I think that's when it stood out most. Mm-hmm. It stood out most with a couple of trees he took in that first half. But they had been there in all of the games up until that point. And so when I, I didn't watch the Raptors game live, so when I woke up on Sunday morning, yeah. Sunday morning, Saturday morning, what day was that? Saturday night that game was, wasn't it? Uh, when I woke up on Sunday morning, I said, oh, the books won. And then I go and check the box score. And I'm one of the first things I was drawn to was how many trees did Giannis attempt? And that wasn't in the way that I think a lot of people have been focused on it for quite a while, as in, oh, was he getting shots up? Was he making shots? That was more out of hoping the number was low because 
that may have shown some element of restraint. And there's probably, particularly as, you know, things weren't going entirely to plan for him or the books early on, I would guess, just by nature of even what Yana's personality is, there was some pressing going on. There was a real hunger to just like, I'm just going to fix this. I think particularly with his shooting, that's been an element he's brought out to start the season where it's like, I'm not making this, but you know how I'm going to fix it? I'm going to shoot even more. I'm going to shoot even quicker. I'm going to shoot shots that no one thinks I can make, which is just not the solution at all. And the Raptors game was the game where, you know, that just went away. And I hope it's going to be the template for what we're going to see from again against the Timberwolves um, later today as we record this and just on over the remainder of the season. Sure, take shots. Um, Take a shot like the three you made in the fourth quarter against the Raptors where the ball gets in your hands with like two seconds left in the shot clock and you say, yeah, the best thing to do for the team here is for me to let fly on this. That's when to take it. Don't take these like (laughs) weird pull-ups where there's like half a second from when you're kind of setting your feet to the ball being out of your hands. Like those shots have looked so rushed beyond even where they are in the shot clock. Just mechanically, they've looked so rushed. Um, But even that wasn't like, that's one element of Giannis's game we're talking about as a problem. I think there was, there was more to that. I mean, the thing that was really, particularly after watching him at the World Cup, and I, those who weren't watching Greece, and it may be the majority of people listening, even of those who watched World Cup games, because Greece were almost always going up against the US in the schedule. Um, there was something there that was reminiscent of that, and that is this. I don't. It just it's hesitation undersells just how he looked frozen with the ball in his hands at times and like inside the arc I'm not talking at the top of the perimeter and there's a wall here and people like to talk about the wall now because of what the Raptors did because of how the books season fell apart but in say the first four games at least plus the first half against the Magic Giannis could get the ball say in around the free throw line and just like completely freeze up and he's just standing there looking holding the ball and you're like what is going on here? This is like, this is half a step for him to get to the rim. If he's not going to do that, normally by this point, he'd have passed it. And when he got to that kind of spot and he froze, then it's kind of like, okay, uh, I'll take a dribble and then kind of a step back mid-ranger or am I just going to, now I've, now I've stopped. It's kind of allowing the defense to set themselves and now there are bodies I have to go into. The one thing with Giannis's game is, it's purely based on instinct because his natural abilities, his physical gifts, if he plays instinctively, that's when those things can't be stopped. It's if you take a moment and you give the opponents a chance to go, okay, he's here. The hoop is here. (laughs) This is what we've got to do. This is the space we've got to cover him over. This is how we've got to do it. You can slide over. I can slide over. And all of a sudden we're going to have three players vaguely contesting the shot when he gets to the rim. When you do that, you're giving the other team a chance that they just don't have otherwise. This is why he's unstoppable in transition is because like, before anyone's brain can adjust, before you can read the situation and say, this is how we need to stop him, it's too late, he's scored, or he's assisted to a three-point shooter in the corner, whatever it might be. So for me, that was the real concern. And yeah, the Raptors game, 
I think it's pretty close to as flawless as you're going to see from Giannis. Three turnovers isn't a big deal for him, and it certainly is even... And, and compared to what he was putting up the exactly. last like, couple games. It's, it's reduced even further in magnitude when he was doing seven and eight turnovers in the games before that. And you're like, this is this is terrible. This is like Russell Westbrook. What is going on here? So three, three turnovers is very close to perfect. Um, just decision-making generally much better. And it wasn't just about getting to the rim, attacking the rim to score. He was also getting... You know, into the paint and making great plays. Um, the incredible assist he dished out to Dante DiVincenzo under the hoop. It's like, you know, get to those positions and then act. Act instinctively. Say, there's my teammate. Or here's a clear path to the rim that I can drive through and make the decision and do it. And it's a positive result. That wasn't happening early on. It seemed to second half against the Magic and then the entire game against the Raptors. So that's really encouraging. I mean... The one thing, and it did improve a little against the Raptors, um, but the one thing that even is a increasingly big concern, even if he is going to be kind of playing at close to his aggressive best, is that the free throw shooting is just getting worse and worse. And mm-hmm. even if he plays the game that we're saying he should play and the game that brings the best results out of him, he's going to live at the free throw line. And as things stand, he is going to give up a ton of points and so much so to the point that, you know, teams will just be fouling him for fun. <laughs> they will be fouling him and saying, if we don't foul him, he's scoring two. This way, he, he might score at all. Something like that concerns me particularly because I don't know. It's not all that common to see those things remedied in season. And we're at a very early juncture in the season. But... Particularly with Giannis, I think there's a confidence element to it, one, but there is also obviously something mechanically. I, I think recently, too, his... Maybe it's just me. Maybe you'll feel different, but I think his free throw routine has slowed down again to the point where I believe it was the Magic game. There was a couple of times where I was like, this is getting close to a violation again, like it used to be for him, where he was really, really pushing it. It was so slow. Um, compared to how it got at times last year when he really looked reliable. Was it, uh, there was a game where he was like 15 of 15 from the free throw line last year. I don't think I'm imagining that. That's something that does concern me. Even if the Raptors game has, you know, is evidence of them turning the corner, and we're going to have a whole lot of more of that going forward. Well, if he's going to play like that, he's going to get fouled a lot. And smarter teams are going to fell him even more because they're going to be like, well, this is, this is our most realistic chance of stopping him. And from being a guy who was consistently kind of a 75% free throw shooter, in the regular season anyway, um, I've written about it in the past, we've talked about it in the past, his free throws, whatever they're at in the regular season, they get worse once he goes to the playoffs. But if it's going to drop considerably below that, or if it's going to be something where you really just, from free throw to free throw, from game to game, you can't rely on what he's going to do with the stripe. It gives teams a new and easier approach to defending him. We've talked for so long about you know teams having to come up with game plans and the books have to counter them all around Giannis. If he's just going to miss a ton of free throws, even you know bad coaches who aren't the most innovative are going to be like, I know, let's foul them and let's take our chances. And the Bucks could lose games to a hot shooting performance where, you know, everyone plays well, but Giannis gets fouled and can't make his free throws. So, something of a red flag for me. 
Um, not that it wasn't going into the year, but that it actually seems like it might be getting worse to start the year. That's a little bit concerning, to say the least. Uh, to f- be the fact checker, you are correct. It wasn't 15 or 15, though. It was 17 or 17. And a win over the Wizards. He had 37 points that night last year. And to kind of, I guess, close the thread of Giannis's shooting and free throw shooting, I think last year was interesting because I think he actually kind of plays into it. And obviously the playoffs are a different beast altogether. But, like, I remember, like, he started off horribly from three. And, again, like, Giannis's standards for three-point shooting aren't high to begin with. But even he, it felt, like, even worse than that, even worse than what this year was. And I think it's kind of one of those things where once he gets his legs under him, because there are some times where you could just kind of tell where he just it's, – you could just tell what instantly when he shoots that he – it's either going to be a make or miss because he just kind of locks up or maybe leans back a little too far. Like, you know what I mean? It's just he, his mechanics are always inconsistent, it seems like, until, you know, uh, at the free throw line or three or whatever. Um, but, yeah, like you said, like they're, the Magic game and the Raptors game too, I know it, he shot better that night, but still, like, it was almost 10 seconds or probably past that. And I know there was, like, a little more arc on it. And Bledsoe's doing the same thing too, I noticed, but like, it's still like, okay, um, <laughs> we're kind of drifting back to old habits. Like, the, I think there was some Bucks fan, I, I can't remember who tweeted, but like, I kind of, I totally agree that like, at this point, like anything Giannis is getting in terms of his shooting mechanics, it's almost like just information overload at this point. And like, I, I don't know if that. You could say, like, oh, you have to do this differently or make sure, like, any, like, adjustment. I think it's just – it's it's not making the problem worse. I just think it's just – he's just flooded with so many different ways to, like, try to fix this long-standing flaw in his game that I don't think any solution's really going to stick permanently until, like, it's the offseason, honestly. Like, I mean, he's played – he played international basketball, what it, like, and, again, didn't look good shooting the ball to begin with. Like, I don't – having a couple of weeks off before the season starts, like, was it going to fix anything, honestly? I, I think underrated in all this, or certainly under-discussed, is Giannis doesn't have, you know – he doesn't have shatterproof confidence. I don't think this ever gets touched on. His confidence takes hits. When certain elements of his game are off or when certain things happen – you can see it affect him that it doesn't necessarily affect other players. Um, the World Cup is not insignificant in that because he had a horror show World Cup. And then coming into the season, showing a lot of the same kind of issues and kind of, I guess, apparently carrying some of that baggage, that's that's not irrelevant. Um, but that then, it, it trickles down into his game, into his free throws, into his three-point shooting. I mean, it's interesting where he talks about wanting to be a leader and things like that. I feel like that might be the second year in a row where he's placed a really strong emphasis on kind of wanting to improve mentally. And we don't we don't think about it or talk about it in the same way we do when, say, Eric Bledsoe says that, because it may not be as obvious most of the time, because when Giannis is confident, which he may be the majority of the time, you know, it's it's game over. There's not a lot anyone else is doing. But I do think the longer we see his career go on, I think the better we all get to know him and his game at this point. He doesn't have completely infallible confidence, Mm -hmm. I'd say. And these kind of 
these kind of dips you can see them get to him so so much of that even it's like yeah i i'd agree i think there probably has to be an element of information overload because when you're shooting that poorly particularly from the free throw line I can't imagine that all of his teammates and all of the assistant coaches are just like leaving him alone and being like, oh, he'll just figure that out. I'm sure they're they're offering some tips because, you know, for the whole team, it would be beneficial if he made some more free throws. But I, I think even more important than that is the more he misses them or the more he thinks about it, the more he gets in his own head. Look, we had a perfect example of this. Was it the Magic game where he airballed the Celtics. two free throws? Where he airballed one, he airballs the other? The Celtics game, like in total, that might happen twice a season in the NBA for every player in the league combined. In total, maybe not even. He may be the only player to mm. airball a set oh, of free throws this season. Just DeAndre Jordan has, has <laughs> no, I know it's happened before, but that's what I'm saying. It's at most you're going to have it happen twice in a season, and even that's probably rare. I'm sure there's seasons where it doesn't happen at all. Like, that is that is bad. That is really bad. Um, so I don't know. Uh, only he could know. Maybe even he can't quite tell uh, whether just say a game like the Raptors boosting his overall confidence. My feeling would be that the more confident he is, say, in his driving game, the better his free throws are. When he's at his best, he just gets better all around. He seems to be that kind of player. Maybe that will help. And maybe when things are going poorly, that's where you end up, okay, he's just airballed two free throws, and that's part because he can't get the drives he wants to get going. He's just not having the influence of the game he wants. His head goes down a little, and it all kind of crumbles at a level that has everyone going, what is going on? My hope is that we're moving past that, but the free throw element in particular is one that I feel like we're going to talk about it all year and it's going to warrant very close attention. And no matter how it comes about, it, it really does need to improve to some point because, you know, we could talk all about what the Raptors did to the books last year and say if the books get to the playoffs and they want to win it all and even if they're playing well and have a good chance, something like that in crucial games can just be the difference. And we already know he doesn't do well with really high-pressure free throws. So seeing free throws in early season, regular season games, not going down. Not the most promising altogether, but I think that took a turn probably when I got involved. So sorry about that, Jordan. Uh, but I think, I think there is reason to be confident to it, or at least to be optimistic that Giannis has turned a corner in his general play. And we should see something much more like his usual self. Um, going forward, I would I would assume so, but well, let's yeah. hope so. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty grim if not. Um, okay, we'll move on to the first of mine. I want to talk about the starting lineup, um, and I guess specifically I want to talk about the fact I don't think it's working. There's something just off, and I think, look, there are many ways we could kind of illustrate this. One very simple one we've already touched on is when Bud took all five starters out and things turned around, you know, in its own right. That's not the best indication of something working really well. Um, 
the numbers show that the uh, the starting lineup is pretty good. They have a net rating of 11.4. All good. What I would say, though, is the profile of that group is pretty different to what you'd expect for a Bucks lineup that includes Giannis and Chris Middleton and Brooks spacing the floor and Bledsoe driving. And that is they have an offensive rating of only 107.1 versus a defensive rating of 95.8. So they're locking down defensively. They're pretty much at a league best rate right now, even at the early season stage where um, defensive rating numbers are kind of crazy to look at. They'd be level with what kind of the best rate for that is. But they are pretty far off in terms of what the books offensively will need to be and what more generally they have been. To me, that's the big issue with the with the book starting lineup at the moment is it doesn't look like it's working offensively. And it's been the puzzle because you look at their overall numbers and you go, they're fourth in offensive rating. This is fine. And yet it's been far from fluid at times. It's been really ugly. It's bogged down at inopportune times on, I was going to say, more than one occasion, but three occasions, probably. Four occasions? Probably four occasions. No, even more. Five. Um, In every game against the Raptors. (laughs) No, I don't. Third third quarter, Raptors. You could make a case that it's happened in all six games at some point. They certainly haven't put together a complete 48 minutes yet. That is not up for debate. So for me, when I look at that, it's like, okay, they're good defensively. They're kind of winning those minutes. But the books at their best, and particularly last year, they would just blow those teams away. Most teams, so I say those teams, most teams, um, even some of the better teams early on, and then they would hold, which is another issue we'll get to later. I don't think this starting five is set up to be able to do that right now. And four of the five pieces are the same that did it last year. And the difference is Wesley Matthews. And you put the Jordan Tresky curse on him, Jordan. Yep. After, after three games, his first three games, pretty good, pretty solid. Um, Actually one of the better books. He was, I did dude. say to you, I thought I did say to you at that time, there, I, there was something about it that just wasn't, I didn't like the look of. I, I remember saying to you, the numbers are showing something much more positive than what I feel inside. Um, and I, I wouldn't even say that that's bore out because the numbers are now terrible, as in his own individual contributions, even if it's still working as a group, which, I mean, that's not all that surprising you consider the other players out there with him. They look so far detached and so far removed from what they were last year. And to me, it's just screaming out for more familiarity. And I've written about it. I've tweeted about it multiple times. It's probably not a surprise to anyone listening to this. To me, there's an obvious change that I think the book should make and should make it this early in the season. And I think it could just really kick them off into a completely different level of play. And that's taking Wesley Matthews out of the starting lineup and bringing Sterling Brown in. Um, that's based on a couple of things. One, Sterling Brown, really, really, really good to start the season. Um, hasn't had quite as much run as he probably deserves, but super efficient so far, looking really confident. Um, just l- looking like a book, if that makes sense. 
if the Bucks have an identity now and it's what they they shaped it into last year, Sterling Brown this year, you're like, that's a guy who gets it. He knows the principles, he plays to them, and the results are really positive from them. That's kind of the early season impression I'm getting. And really, that's the complete opposite of Wesley Matthews. Now, that's not entirely his fault. He's still learning the system. He's still learning how all of this works. I don't know if he has to figure that out in the starting lineup, though. For both the short or the long term. I don't see why he can't come off the bench and play major minutes, possibly by the playoffs come around, play more minutes than a Sterling Brown or a Dante or a Pat Connaughton. But I think there's something really important about just getting the the kind of cohesion of that starting five right. Because I think by doing that, you should get a better version of Eric Bledsoe. You should get a better version of Giannis and a better version of Brooke Lopez. Also probably a better version of Chris Middleton, although Chris, I think, has generally been doing pretty well on his own. He hasn't quite experienced the bumps of the significance that the other three guys have through this point. I think that's more important than saying Wesley Matthews brings this. And so for me, if Sterling Brown is going to help to unlock that, and let's be fair, based on what he's shown so far, Sterling Brown may well have plenty to to offer in his own right that makes you say, yeah, he should play. Uh, he's shooting 57.1% to start the season from deep. I mean, <laughs> low percentage, but impressive. And the small sample size wouldn't... This is an area where I'd almost play it down because he's showing us something with the types of shots he's taking and making. Um, they're different. They're much more difficult, and he's doing it so effortlessly. He had one in the corner against the Raptors, which he kind of he kind of faked out his defender and took it off the dribble, and the other was a pull-up tree in transition against the Magic. And both of those, you're like, okay, that's new. That's not just Sterling being a great corner shooter. That's him creating his, his own three-point shot too. So... Look, we can we can talk about Dante too, and we can talk about, I guess, alternative options there. Um, but for me, I, I think one of the primary focuses and concerns has to be how do you get the cohesion of your main players right? And I mean, this is particularly important when we consider the whole third quarter mm-hmm. problem. <laughs> um, because this group sees the floor to start games and to start second halves. That's when it's guaranteed. They haven't really been finishing games because George Hill has been working his way in there. Um, But they're the two times you're guaranteed to have that. Honestly, throughout the season so far, there hasn't been a game where the Bucs haven't either had a bad first quarter or a bad third quarter. Yeah. That's kind of telling us something. So for me, I, I know it's early in the season possibly a bigger thing in this than i'd necessarily um give it credit for and i I think this might be something you wrote about during the summer jordan but it's you know what happens to wesley matthews or how does he take being a bench player because he really hasn't had to do it that much in his career um well i think he needs to do it now and he should find out and it's that's not a knock on him i think it's best for the team and it should be look you're here to win right we're gonna make this that you're at your best the team's at their best this is how we feel we're going to go about it for now. That's just where I'm at. What are your thoughts on the starting five? It's funny because <laughs> I know there was a lot of consternation with the starting lineup last year, especially with Malcolm. And everybody was like looking, well, like look at the net rating. It's, it, I think the net, I think their net rating was like, it was a positive, but it wasn't like overwhelmingly a positive, like other lineup 
configurations were. And there was just a lot of people like, oh, Malcolm's best off as a six man. And I mean, I think we're seeing early on why people were misunderstood to just label Malcolm as like a catch and shoot guy to begin with, or strictly as a catch and shoot guy to begin with. I mean, that was a big reason why people were kind of just like saying like, oh yeah, it's fine. Just like move on from him in terms of stylistically um and bringing on shooters like west matthews or corver and all that stuff and you have guys like sterling and dante waiting the wings and pat obviously but uh it's funny like we're looking at it's it's the total opposite where we're looking at oh like their net ratings are really good you know like from a number standpoint it looks fine but like again like you i, I totally agree first quarter is outside of the raptors game they've been pretty sluggish they've kind of you know it, it, they get the shot in the arm they need to like have a lead in the first quarter when their bench players come in. Cause their bench has just been really solid at this point. Um, more than solid, I should say. Um, and obviously third quarters have been by far their biggest problem and it's all intertwined. And like you said, like I wrote about Wesley Matthews ever since that he's just been absent. And the more, I mean the Raptors game before he rolled his ankle, I mean, you don't want to West Matthews is not a guy that you want to see him. He could do a little bit with the ball, but you don't want to see him do it exclusively. And it was just obvious to me where he's not, he's not looking for shots from three. That's a problem. He's starting to handle the ball more. That's a problem. They become into turnovers. That's even a bigger problem. And I think there was even one before he got hurt. There was like uh Giannis was kind of like going up the floor and, Mathis was even behind the three point line and he's like in that kind of long two area on the, by the corner and he hit the shot. I know that, but like there's just something off with him at this point. And I mean, you have guys like Sterling, even Dante has been showing flashes here and there, you know, it's, it's an obvious thing to sort out. And obviously Sterling's history of playing in the starting lineup. He knows how to play, interact with, the the four regular starters after being in the starting lineup after playing with them last year and then going into this year and he i mean we saw this in the preseason he was red or not red hot but like we both were looking at him like hmm this is really interesting this doesn't look like you know like this kind of feels real with sterling and it's paid off so far in the limited minutes he's seen so i mean I'm right there with you in terms of making a starting lineup change. And again, it's, it's, I don't anticipate anything unless I know there, his rolled ankle was, he was held out for precautionary reasons. So I don't anticipate a lineup change, like suddenly going into a game against Minnesota or even this road trip, but like, well, I kind of hope that he misses the Minnesota game because of his ankle. I, I think this is the only way where this is probably going to come come to pass at this point in the season. I can't imagine Bud shaking it up unless things were to really take a bad turn again. Um, and a bad turn being more than two losses. Like, I mean, for as much as the panic that kind of set in amongst everyone because of the stakes of this season, because of the expectations, you know, for a coach, we lost two games isn't something that's going to lead to wholesale changes. I mean... I would like. I'm not, I don't want to say I would like Wesley Matches to miss the Timberwolves game, but 
I would I would just like a reason to come about where Bud has to look at a different option and where we see how that works from the start. Now, whether he'd pick Sterling, that's a different question. I honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, he picked Dante to start the second half against the mm-hmm. Raptors. I'm going to park that for now. We've got some Dante questions in the mailbag, so I think that might be the place to to talk more about that element of it. But, I mean, for me, I, I'd be advocating for Sterling, but more generally, I do think the books need to look for something different in the starting lineup. And for me, part of that is just finding something that, you know, is more comfortable and they already know that it works. Like starting with the starters works. We saw it for a significant chunk towards the end of the season. We saw it in the first round of the playoffs. We may have seen it in the second round of the playoffs. If that first loss wasn't so bad that there was a need to really shake things up. You know, that's the point of the season where one game can force a shake up. And Sterling may ultimately have been kind of unfortunate in how that played out. Sacrificial lamb. Yeah, he he really was. There's no reason to believe that his game two couldn't have been much better. That they couldn't have done what they did in game two with him there. I mean, Brogdon was also Brogdon coming back and how Brogdon played. That's a major factor in that too. Um, He came back soon after, but. Sterling's role was just gone then. It was kind of like you're either a starter or you're out of the rotation. So, look, we don't need to go back and kind of by the way, work, work through all of that again. But go on. Net rating in the playoffs last year with Sterling in the with the four starters plus 23.3 net rating in 52 mounts. Pretty and good. That's, a, that's including that Celtics game. I actually want to include one point because I think it's an interesting dynamic between Wes and Brooke because they're both kind of off to these struggling shooting starts. I remember, I think it was like Mike Proud of SB Nation. When the Bucks signed Wes Matthews, he kind of pointed out like, that's kind of, it would, he was like, oh, it's a, something about like, it makes for an interesting question in terms of Wes Matthews, like a lot of his threes come from above the break and obviously that's where they station Brooke. And I think kind of having to, I don't know. We 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 know how the Bucks play their system, even with a little different wrinkles this year. But like, I wonder if just kind of having to adjust to shoot more shorter threes. Obviously, if you're more stationed in the corner, or kind of having to interplay because we've seen Brookie man in the corner too. Like there are just some. It there just obviously isn't something that's meshing well in terms of how do they station. Which shooter goes where in terms of and the corner is is not Brook shot like that defeats no. the whole purpose of what they did. That's the reason why Brook was trading like four feet behind the arc last year was because you just create even more space and he had this incredible range. And if you're having him taking the shortest possible trees in the court, well, you're kind of negating that incredible weapon he has to just stretch the floor out to levels that, as so many people mentioned last year, only really Steph Curry can like. The range that Brook takes his shots from is is something pretty rare. So you want him stationed there to take those, whether they're going or not. They're not quite going at the moment. But he may be helped by having more of those shots he's familiar with. I mean, just to, to wrap up on Sterling, um, we are dealing with small samples, but he does lead the team in offensive rating at 125. He's second in defensive rating at 89.1 and second in net rating at 35.9. Um, Dante is first in defensive rating and first in net rating, just edging ahead of him. The two of them are basically 
neck and neck. I do think Sterling's like Sterling has the best offense around right the team right now, and it's by three points over Dante. I think with how Wes Matthews is not necessarily helping the team, or well, that's not even right. Wes Matthews' offensive rating individually isn't ba- isn't bad, but it's when he's with that starting group, which is still the bulk of his minutes, it's not working overall, and it's probably holding back better offensive players and more important offensive players. I don't think Sterling will cause that same issue. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll move on from that. Jordan, your next point. Well, we kind of touched on it with Wes and just the starting lineup troubles. I mean, third quarter, uh, <laughs> it's it's been a rough one for the Bucks. I mean, after especially after the Toronto game, giving up 40 points in the third quarter, bad news, bad business. <laughs> 39 I th- or 38 to the Celtics in that loss. We saw it in the Heat game. We saw it in – there was another one. Am I remembering? Correctly? No. Is that it? Cleveland, maybe? I mean, the, the Cleveland has kind of been... Uh, the way the Cleveland game played out, is probably the better way of putting this, has been forgotten to time somewhat. That was not a convincing 17-point no. win. Um, That was, you know, a late kind of burst. I mean, they gave up not, not quite anything to the extremes you were just mentioning, but against the Cavs... A 31-point quarter, a 32-point quarter, 28-point quarter, a 21-point quarter. I just gave them completely out of sequence, which is of no use to anyone. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the point is, you know, three of four quarters were above 28, two of them over 30. Even that isn't ideal. That's not what this Bucks team was last year, um, particularly against, again, a team like what the Cavs are this year. But, yeah, it's I, there are probably other isolated examples that were just not coming to mind to your point. Yeah. I mean, again, this kind of intertwines with everything else. that's kind of plaguing the bucks in terms of starting lineup isn't meshing well. I mean, Brooke has been shooting the ball poorly from three. Eric Butts has been his erratic playoff self <laughs> to start the season. Um, obviously Giannis's struggles. I mean, like you said, in the Cleveland game, I think he only had like, didn't he have like 14 points, 10 rebounds, like seven assists? I mean, that's a timid Giannis performance by every stretch of the imagination. And again, it came in a 17 point win, so it kind of gets glossed over because of the result. But like, that's not going to cut in when you're going to, going against tougher competition. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know uh, Dean Maniot of at all the Bucks, I, I, tweeted over the after the Raptors game, but like the Bucks net rating is like 25th, at least at that point, in terms of in third quarter play. He said like the Bucks are shooting 18% from three during third quarters, which is just kind of weird. And especially, I mean, the Bucks are such a strong third quarter team last year. I mean, that's where they would really kind of put the uh their feet to the gas pedal in terms of just like blowing out teams and getting all these double digit wins that we saw, like, what was it, like, 45 of them at the end of the season? Like, that's where, like, they really just, like, just started hitting opponents like they were hitting, like, a pinata or something. Um, but this year has been far from the case. I think, obviously, just how the starting lineup has played, but I also think, like, I don't know. It kind of goes into other things I'll probably talk about and touch on, but, like, 
there just is some again it, it, it's too early to tell and obviously early sample size so it could easily correct itself over time but like there's just a dynamic or what's there's something missing in terms of like how they're adjusting to the halftime breaks and maybe that's kind of honestly hurting them in that they get into this groove and then they have to kind of they you know lose out on 15 minutes and have to like refine it again and obviously the starting lineup hasn't helped issues either but like i don't know there's just there's just something missing entirely from that third quarter performance and when they're not hitting looks from on offense obviously their defense suffers no matter what uh and that's where we get kind of like the fouling woes again and just kind of um all these this slew of issues that are just plaguing them at this point I think they're just not where they need to be mentally. I mean, this is where I come down on most of the book's problems, almost all of the book's problems right now, if I'm honest. And it's not something that people are quick to talk about. I don't know. Is that just a desire to like, have something more tangible? Part of what I find happens with this, and I think it, it started to happen, we'll say, after the Celtics game was the mm-hmm. second of the losses, right? I forgot the order, right? After the Celtics game, so when that had happened twice, there's kind of this clutching at pearls, this pointing of fingers, and it's like, okay, what what element can we point to? Just to point to, that's it, that's it. And you got lots of people pointing at different parts of the Bucks game that are obviously problems. And it's like, that's the problem, but it's not, why is that the problem? Or why is that different than it was? And I, I think, like... <laughs> Maybe maybe it is just that it's not tangible and it can't be proven and people aren't comfortable with that. But I think, you know, the whole conversation could be a lot smarter a lot of the time if we take a moment to acknowledge just how significant the mental side of all sports is and how that factors into all of this for the books. And this to me was something I definitely wrote about in a couple of different capacities over the course of the offseason. Because it was really one of the biggest questions was, okay, they won 60 games. They made themselves out to be, you know, a juggernaut, one of the very best teams in the East. Then they also had to deal with a brutal collapse and the ultimate disappointment in the conference finals. So how are those two things going to kind of coalesce and what are they going to come back as? How are they going to handle all of that? How are they going to move past the disappointment? How are they going to deal with the label of, you know, being like among favorites because that might have emerged mid-season last year and over the course of the year but they didn't have to enter from game one of a season with that and i mean i'm sure there is an element of they've got a target on their backs i'm sure there is an element of you know not just rolling up to play the books and be like oh we're playing the books and being okay we need to really think carefully about how we play the books because we know what this team did to us last year we know what they did to most of the league last year and all that combined is just something just about the sharpness. And uh, I think I wrote about it after the Heat game that I felt there was like, this is a playoff hangover. We're seeing we're seeing actual effects of it. That's to me, it screams out that that's what's happening when Giannis is all of a sudden frozen because there's a defender between him and the rim or there might be two defenders. It's like he's thinking, do I take a mid-range now? What If I'd taken more mid-ranges and made them in the conference finals, would I have a championship? It's like all of this starts to go through his head instead of just being like, you know, shrug my shoulders. I'm stronger than those guys anyway. I'm just going to drive through and finish. 
I think that extends though to a lot of these problems in a wider sense. And to me, this isn't the first time with the books that we've talked about this. This is the first time with Mike Budenholzer's books, but we have talked about Yanis and Chris Middleton teams that had issues coming out of halftime. Like that was a long running thing for quite a while. Um, we had someone we could very clearly point to and be like, you know, they don't, whatever happens at halftime, they don't come out in a good place. But I mean, a lot of what we can see with the books this season, I would find it hard to dispute that it's down to complacency. I'm not saying it's entirely down to complacency, but I'm saying if you wanted to put that as the argument to me and say, is that why they haven't been quite locked in or at their best to start the season? Is that why when they come out of half time, you know, they're not necessarily putting a game away? Is that why when they're up by over 20 points, they're not killing a game off? I can't disprove that. And particularly, I mean, not just after where they were last year, but we even talked about just how good they looked in the preseason and they went 5-0. and I don't know that they roll out an opening night and they're like, yeah, we've got this. And you know what? On opening night, they were terrible, and they were right. They did have it. Um, they managed to come away with a with a road win against, you know, a good team with superstar players without having their best. And then you go, wow. I mean, we can do this eighty two nights of the year, and we'll just cruise to the playoffs, and then we can turn it on. Like, there's a whole lot of that that's new for this team. We talked about what was new last year. What's new this year is, um, like the stuff Giannis finished last year saying of. Maybe I don't go as hard in the regular season and I wait for this point and I've got to work on that. Like, I'm not necessarily saying we're seeing differences in him because of that, but those questions now exist in his mind where before they didn't or they were purely hypothetical because he hadn't felt what it was like to be playing at the end of May. So I just think there's a lot going on there, potentially, that they may have to just bed in and kind of settle out. And to me, that was the most encouraging thing about the Raptors game and even the parts that went bad was they looked actually composed in that game. As opposed to the Celtics and Heat where I felt like when it turned against them, they just like looked like everything was out of their control. It was literally like the place was in flames around them. It was it was the, the gif of the dog drinking in the place of flames. That was the books. It was just pure chaos where you're like, no one can slow this net down. No one is like able to just, you know, get the ball in their hands, have a possession run down to like maybe six seconds before taking a shot. Anything, any element of control was gone. That to me is a very mental thing. I don't know. I'll touch a little bit more on that shortly because I do think it's a. To me, it's the it's the thing. It's my takeaway from the start of the season is the Bucks are adjusting mentally. Mm. And we could talk about a lot of the issues that are their scheme in terms of scheme. And I mean, they're there, but I also think they can be addressed without radical change. They can be addressed with, you know, adjustments to mentality. And I think they they will be. And we've already seen some hints of that. Um, just before moving on from this point, you mentioned the books being 25th in third quarter net rating. Do you want to guess the five teams below them in third quarter net rating? Oh, I I know I know some. I know it was the Warriors. Yeah. Grizzlies. Yeah. It's basically all like the bottom. It's the terrible teams. teams. It's, it's yeah, the um, Warriors, Hornets, Wizards, Kings, Kings Grizzlies. Kings were 
been awful in third quarters. Like, that is not a group we want the books to be in for any stat category this year. Yeah. Need to get out of that. Minus 17.3 is bad. Although it's not as bad as the Grizzlies. Minus 41.9 third quarter net rating. Um, which is actually borderline impressive. Um, maybe Bud and Taylor Jenkins, you know, should have a talk about third quarters. Um, but yeah, not being in that kind of category for anything, sharing that kind of company, that would be good for the books. Okay, my next point. Um, I mentioned the books looking like they're just unable to get a handle on things and to kind of exercise an element of control. I think there's been one exception to that throughout the first six games and that basically anytime he's entered a game, he's looked like he's been able to do just that. And it's George Hill. Um, the tricky part here instantly when we get into this is no player on the roster may be relied upon as much for, you know, being the, being the counterbalance, being the, the refreshing sense of control over the player they're vying for minutes with than George Hill, because, there is probably some part of me that every time I talk about how George Hill comes in and he, you know, the game slows down and the Bucks just really kind of, they look at ease and they look like, yeah, we've got this. That's probably also saying something about what can be the case with Eric Bledsoe's in the game. And they look like they very much haven't got it. Um, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, they have shared the court together some, and particularly late in games when Hill has kind of assumed the two-guard spot in those situations. But, I mean, just through the first six games, I think it's, if it wasn't already kind of scarily apparent just how important George Hill is to the books this year, um, he's kind of ensured that everyone has to double down on their understanding of that with his play. He's just been great. Like, really, really great. He's shooting 47.1% from deep, 57.5% from the field. He's averaging 10 points per game in 23.5 minutes, which actually seemed low to me based on how much it's felt like they've needed him. Mm -hmm. Um, Also really crucial to this, he has an 11.0 assist-to-turnover ratio. He's only turned the ball over twice in the first six games. He's had 22 assists. Wow. And... I mean, that's, that would be good at any point in the season, but that is particularly striking considering just how all over the place the books have been early on. And I mean, we mentioned Sayana's turnover troubles and he hasn't been alone on that. That was certainly an issue in um, in the preseason as well. Um, through six games, 22 assists, two turnovers. That is really, really good. And I think that more than anything else just speaks to just how crucial he has been to the good things and to them having chances in games. He's not alone. There, there are a couple of other players, maybe not quite at at his level. One that stands out, particularly off the bench, Pat Connaughton has done this in a couple of games too, where he comes in, you're just like, the, the game has just completely transformed just by this player being on the court, just by this player showing confidence in what they can do and kind of energizing the teammates, but not in a way that's like, let's kind of get out of control and reckless. There's two kinds of energy. There's the Tanasis kind of energy, which I think the books have needed at times. They could have done with a couple of times already this season. Um, and then there's like the Pat Connaughton energy, which is I will be everywhere, but I will also be where I'm supposed to be, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, 
I think Hill has a little bit of that without the intensity, but he is just, you know, he's the most important veteran on the team. I wrote about it a couple of days ago. He is the most important veteran. Brooke and Robin, plenty experience. Um, Corver, Wes Matthews, obviously all of these guys. I think in terms of being a vocal leader, which was something he showed a willingness to do last year, in terms of being one of Mike Budenholzer's most trusted lieutenants on the floor, and in terms of just actually coming out and playing consistently at a really high level, George Hill is the guy. George Hill is so crucial to what this book season ultimately becomes. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better than myself. Or <laughs> I couldn't say it any better than myself. You couldn't say it any better than yourself? <laughs> wow. Talk about ego. Anyway. I couldn't say it any better. There we go. I don't need the, the myself. Anyway. <laughs> well, you you kind of, you kind of do, but anyway, anyway, we got there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's their sixth man. Um, I know, like you said, like first back off the bench is like has been Piat or Dante the other night, but it's George Hill. He's closing games. He's been routinely the most consistent point guard the Bucks have had this year. Um. And I mean, after they signed him, I was, and obviously in light of the decision to move on from Malcolm, I was looking at him like if he, his early season play or just his play in general throughout the year is going to be an indication of uh, whether this Bucks team is at least as strong of a bench team or in terms of their bench production, in terms of their, just their depth. And I mean, it's not shocking to see that if he's playing well and the the bunch the Bucks bench is producing as um, much as they have to start the year, I mean, he's a huge reason for that. Uh, he's just been very he he just does all these little things for them in terms of like one game. It's it's just, you know it's tough to see him like not looking to score the ball or kind of you could tell when he doesn't have like the aggressiveness scoring the ball. But when he kind of just fills all these gaps and then the games where he just like turns it on and like the Cleveland game, he was just incredible in terms of just like how he's beating people off the dribble. He just goes up for these crazy dunks that are just like, Oh yeah. Like George Hill could do that. Like he just does all these. Well, did you, did you know George Hill could do that before he did it? Cause he, I don't think I did. I don't think I've ever seen him dunk like he that. Had that one. Um, the Celtics won last year during the playoffs game. It wasn't like that. Mm, I don't know. That that dunk was one of the most reckless dunks I've ever seen. It was just, there was literally no, no ounce of kind of self-preservation. He threw himself up there, extended himself to the max with one hand from an angle. And he came out really hard on it because it was just like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing that, George Hill. Uh, I'm glad you did, but maybe not too many more times because, yeah, the last thing the books need is George Hill, <laughs> which just straight away, the idea of this seems so out of character, but George Hill putting up too many highlight dunks, Jordan, where he might fall down and hurt himself. This is like Giannis in preseason opting for layups rather than dunks. This needs to be the George Hill strategy. He's yes. too important. But, um, yeah, he's just been very steady as as you as much as you can ask him to be um and that's paid off dividends throughout the year okay jordan your final point speaking of steady 
Chris Middleton. Uh, again, Raptors game was not a bright spot, but through the Bucks' first six games, I mean, Middleton's been very dependable. Definitely the most consistent starter for the Bucks. And by a long I, way, I, yeah, I don't think it's even close. Um, and again, we how we talk about Chris Middleton in terms of starting the season is not a positive conversation um more often than not um i just think he's i i think playing for team usa and obviously that was not a uh fruitful experience in terms of, or in terms of just like the way they lost that tournament and the world cup but i think the kind of having that getting into ga- game shape uh earlier in the season and kind of sustaining that and going into uh, this season with the Bucks, I mean, it's obviously paid off. I, th- I think he's been like just, I don't know. I just think there's just a different, there's a different confidence that we're seeing from him. It, obviously, like it's encouraging to see him hit threes. It's encouraging to see him, you know, break. He's had a really, uh, we've seen him more kind of gravitate towards the post and kind of find his rhythm that way. But like the, it was the Raptors game where he had that like, like crazy reverse where he's just kind of breaking down and all of a sudden like, Oh, like Chris Middleton has that. <laughs> like we don't see that every often. Like, uh, George what was the game. Was it a, was it a preseason game where he had the incredible, mm-hmm. it was the jazz game. Jazz game. Right. Yeah. Where he had the incredible move off the dribble to just kind of split his defenders and get to the rim. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, there's some new tools there. Well, I mean, that sort of stuff. And I, I don't want to put too much kind of emphasis on that, but that's, he looks like someone who has spent a good portion of a summer playing with other really good players and not just like, oh, we're having a scrimmage where, you know, I'm going to start taking um, sidestep fadeaway trees. Um, no shade at anyone in particular, James Harden. But I'm playing like in a meaningful setting where everything we do counts and we're all fighting for a roster spot first of all, then we're fighting to get better. And the whole World Cup experience may not have ended very well. Um but I mean, Chris Middleton looked really good by the end of that tournament. Yeah, he definitely. He did. was playing really, really well. I think the thing that I'm I'm not just writing. I have written about this. The piece is ready. It'll be out later in the week. I've already tweeted about it, and now I'm uncomfortable with this because it feels like I'm bigging it up by talking about it again. It's not that important, everyone. Read it, but it's not important. Um. That's how you do hype, right, Jordan? <laughs> That's That might just be out of the Jordan Tressy school of hype. Um, I don't want to give too much away from that, but I think the thing for me that's most striking is just how good all-around Chris Middleton is now. And I mean, that's why you pay him, and that's why he's as important as he is to the books. Because he's had two... Two poor games with a shooting and a scoring, that being the Rockets and Raptors games. Um, what he does, though, that really not a lot of players forced to take on roles of his uh, kind of of the same significance that he does, or even a little less or a little bit more, is he's just good enough at enough different things that it's very rare there's a night where everything is off, and. I believe it was the Rockets game, so didn't have a shot in that game. What did he do? He had eight rebounds. 
the Raptors game didn't have his shot as he would have liked. What did he do? He had seven assists. That's kind of what Chris Middleton is at this point in his career, where he will actually roll with that to the point of, okay, I haven't got this. This is what I need to do for the team tonight. And I think kind of important in that is they're Middleton's two worst shooting nights. How do both of those games end? Not a, not a trick question. Say that again. Say that again. The Rockets game, the Raptors game. Middleton's two worst shooting performances of the season. By far, all of the others have been good. How did those games end? Bucks won. Bucks won. Because even on an off night, Middleton can do things that he's going to be productive on the floor. He's going to find ways that, okay, my shot isn't going, but I'm going to do this, and this is going to be a positive. I also feel like he hasn't overly pressed on those occasions. Like, I mean, hopefully we're past Giannis doing that, but that was part of the problem when things were going poorly and Giannis would start taking these awful trees, that sort of thing. And Giannis is just the one that comes to mind most immediately, but there have been other players doing it. Middleton's two bad performances this season have both done nothing to prevent the Bucks from winning. And in fact, he's found other ways to help them to win across that. And there just there aren't many wings who can guard a top tier like superstar talent at the three or four spot and do it well do it well like Middleton did against Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs that then on another night can go up and put up 30 points of their own and absolutely shoot the lights out or then can grab 10 rebounds or dish out 10 assists like he doesn't do all of that at once because if he did, he'd be the book's best player. <laughs> like he, he really would be, he would be better than Giannis if he could do all of that at once. Because if the conversation is, what if, what if he could be like a 30, 10 and 10 guy who could also shoot? It's like, Oh, so we're kind of talking about Giannis with a shot. Like there's an, an element of him, what he can't do. I'm now giving away my whole piece. God damn it. Um, there's an element in what he can't do that gets really blown up and it's like his inconsistencies and this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen. That is why he is what he is. And I don't say that as a pejorative. It's like he is top 25. That's the kind of point where he comes into the conversation. 25 down. And to get there, you are really, really good. And you're at a point where Guess what? If you're in the top 25, 30, if you want to, if you want to stretch out, you want to say he's top 40 players in the league. Okay, well then you're in a position where not every team in the league can have a player as good as you. That's how you get paid. He gets paid the way he does, and he's as valued and as highly thought of around the league, not because he's expected to be the best version of himself every single night, but because he's just good enough at all aspects of the game that on his best night, he's going to win you the game. Regardless of who your number one option is, your number three option, your best night, Chris Middleton, will be the guy you will say, he won us the game tonight. And on his worst night, he doesn't necessarily sink the whole ship because he can do enough other things to keep everything moving. That is super rare. Super, super rare. I will invite listeners, um, particularly some of the Middleton skeptics, Come up with a list of players in the NBA who can do that and do that at the kind of level Milton does, at the kind of usage that he does. They can just adjust their game from night to night and be 
the score one night, the rebounder the other night, um, the primary playmaker another night. That is rare, and it's not something that Middleton has always had. I feel like he's developed the ability to do all of those things under the radar. He can't just be kind of judged because they don't always go together, because I just think that's too unrealistic an expectation for all but what three players in the NBA, yeah. <laughs> like if even. So I I think just think the good version of Middleton, which is what he is ninety nine percent of the time, because there's always something there for him to rely on, is what makes you say we can't afford to risk losing this guy. We're gonna pay him this deal. Which, by the way, contracts are nonsense. Like it's there's a salary cap, so it's all kind of artificially created. Everyone has to use their max money. If you're the best guy in the team, you're the second best guy in the team. You're gonna want the money. You don't care that. You might be up to that standard. You're like, I'm your second best guy. I'm your best guy. Pay me. It's the nature of the NBA. I think he should be judged rather than all of that on, you know, what is his actual game? What can you rely on night to night? And where I know plenty of his critics will go, oh, well, you can't rely on anything night to night. That's completely false. What you can rely on is he will find something, even on his worst nights. He'll nearly always find something that you can say, okay, this is what Chris is going to do tonight, and we can leave him on the floor because of this. Chris Middleton does not have Eric Bledsoe bad games. He just doesn't. There is not a, there's not an instance where you're like, Middleton doesn't have it tonight, it's sinking the whole team. The whole thing is crumbling because Chris Middleton doesn't have it. It's because he has enough ways where he can adjust. My God, if Bledsoe could do that, the Bucks would already have a championship under their belt, and they'd be, we'd be bullish on their chances of getting a second. You know, that is really the kind of thing that separates players. Someone like Bledsoe, who is a very good player, doesn't quite have that thing of, I haven't got my best. How can I, you know, kind of get out of my own head, maybe take some of the ego out of it and just make smart plays that are best for the team, affect the game in as many ways as possible that are positive. That's what Middleton can do, though. And I think the first six games of the season have been a really, really strong illustration of that and of its value. Because at his best, he's going to put you in position to win. He's going to keep you in games. And at his worst, he's not taking you out of the game. That, in its own right, is a sign of a player who is one of the better players in the NBA. Because most players, when they have a bad game, you know about it. They're on the bench, or they're just tanking your chances. It doesn't happen with Middleton, and I think that really speaks to who he is at this point in his career. Yeah, and it, it, it only kind of just sheds more of a light on just the adjustments that he made last year. I know that was kind of a big theme in terms of, especially when he, he was named an all-star and, you know, it, statistically it wasn't his best season the year before he was, it was a, his career year at this point. Um, and, you know, you had the the game where it was against the Knicks that the, that the Bucks lost, where he gets benched because of poor effort and all that stuff, like uncharacteristic mills and stuff. Like that's the stuff that you're, you look at as in, uh, the the Bledsoe type comparisons when he's not giving effort and it's so palpable that you're just like, what are you doing? Like th- this is not what you do. Um, that has obviously not been the case this year. He's shooting he has more threes than he has last than he was uh, last year, and I think kind of having him kind of go back to where we know that he's not like a Giannis type. We know he's not like a Bledsoe where he has to get to the rim to kind of uh uh 
get going in terms of finding his rhythm. He's more of the kind of the old school two guard, the kind of Kobe, DeMar DeRozan's, Dwayne Wade. He has to kind of feel his way out in the post and create shots at the dribble that way. But, uh, um, and again, that's not what the Bucks value in terms of their shot selection. But Milton's a rare case where, I mean, that that season two years ago, that was when he was hitting more more shots from there than he was from three with his uh, kind of early season shooting struggles that year. Um, but just kind of this, the way he's carried himself and just he's been so composed to start the season. And like you said, he just does so many different things that, he could play. I mean, we're just seeing why you make an investment in terms of a guy that can just fill the gaps in all these different areas and is maybe to some at least might not be shown as like he's a jack of all trades, master of none type player, but that's that goes beyond his. That's that is what he is, though. Yeah. That is that that is literally a line, Jordan, in the article, which again I've given away completely. I expect all of you listening to go and give me pity clicks when it posts on Wednesday on behindthebookpass.com because I've just given you the whole article. But that is a line in it. That is not a bad thing if you're a jack of all trades at the level that he is. Like name the other guys in the NBA who can do a little bit of all of those things as well as he can. That is a very short list. And it's a incredibly short list if you take out the guys who are like bona fide superstars. So you've got kind of just this group up here who, you know, could single-handedly win you a title. The Bucks have one of those players. Good for them. You then move below that and you're trying to find other players who can just give you a little bit of something. Middleton doesn't have the flaws that so many of those players have. And Middleton's flaw is that he can't give it all to you on one night. That is a big problem if you don't have him beside a Giannis. The Bucks do, and that sets them up to win more nights than it doesn't. Remember, Wednesday, BehindTheBookPass.com, <laughs> all of the pity clicks. Uh, my last point, Jordan... Is it even a point? I don't know. I've gone through these first six games feeling pretty optimistic about the books. Um, I am not saying I was at the peak of my optimism around games three, four. <laughs> um, certainly halftime at five, not there either. I never crashed as low as many, including you, Tresky. Um, but... I think the way they've responded the last two games is is incredibly encouraging. I think just finding kind of some reserve to kind of, okay, we've two pretty brutal losses under our belt already, but we're going to kick back against that. We're going to go and win both games on our first back-to-back, including a second game against the team that have left them with so many demons in the first place. That's a big thumbs up for me. I think that says a lot. Um, the other part of this is, the Bucks are building 20-point leads in the majority of their games. <laughs> um, they may be losing them, but they're also building them in the majority of their games. And I, I just think they're not going to keep slipping over the course of the year. They're going to figure it out. They're going to get it right. And those leads are going to stick. And you know what? We could end up looking back a couple of months from now and being like, yeah, that was probably the worst spell of the season that they got out of the way straight away. In terms of regular season, in terms of kind of the ruts that teams go through, I mean, in giving it a little bit of thought, the 
the sheer anxiety and panic that I think greeted the first four games, it really does speak to just how amplified everything is this year with obviously the big decision for Giannis next summer. Because the noise got pretty noisy last year when we got to, what was that month where, November, was it November? It was November, right? Where they went six and six or whatever that the was. This? middling stretch. It was like late November. The middling stretch, whatever. They were win one game, lose one game, yeah. win one game, lose one game. And people lost their mind. I mean, well, when I said he lost our mind, it was nowhere near what we were having through four games. It wasn't a conversation of this thing is permanently broken and, you know, we need to fix something, which I think a lot of people are getting very close to through four games. Um, I think that just, it just highlights just how weird this season is going to be for the books, how different it is. And I would like to think, having already seen a little bit of progress, and I hope by the time some of you listen to this, the books might have another win under their belts, that we can all just take a deep breath, Jordan, and kind of regulate our emotions across the course of the season. Do you think there's a chance of this happening? No. <laughs> okay. Um, we've got mailbag questions, so let's move on to the mailbag. The first question from at Joe is on one. Who is the most important shooting guard to the books 2020 championship aspirations? Dante, Wes, Brown, or Pat Khan? Jordan? You know me, I'm not one to dodge questions. <laughs> Great. Um, but I don't think it matters who it is. I just think it matters. That, no, it. that is one of your worst thoughts. Of course it matters who it is. That isn't, I'm not accepting that. That's, it doesn't matter which shooting guard is most important to the books of course it matters I'm gonna I go Sterling I go Sterling too I guess this is where we talk about Dante um, I mean there are other questions coming up about Dante very impressed with Dante last couple of games if we had have had a podcast last week um, it would have included I think probably both of us, but certainly me crying out for one of our both of Sterling or Dante. And that's including with my feelings about Dante and where I felt he should be in the rotation, that being out of it to start the season, because I just think their first few games were flat. And even during those games, you're like, um, even if Dante doesn't have his best here, maybe just getting him the game can spark something can light a fire under them. Um, I think he's come in and he's done more than that in the last two games. So very impressed. Impressed with Sterling too. Um, I would still say Dante is just nowhere near as good as everyone wants to think he is. And I mean, it's literally, it's right in front of everyone's eyes. But I think there's an element of still celebrating things that happened like 20 minutes ago when he starts to do bad things that people don't notice them. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too severe on this. I mean, the Raptors game is a great example. Um, well, I say I'm very impressed with his last two games, but I'm impressed with like his first few minutes against the Raptors where he knocked down two triples. From that point on, he went one of six. And he missed a ton of shots at the rim. And he does that very consistently. And his shooting to start the season, I'm very encouraged by. Um, but that is one of the things that unfortunately we will need a longer sample, a larger sample, before we can really buy into it as real that it can be relied upon every night um 
I think there's a balance in personality and playing style and age versus not age experience versus youth that needs to be struck with this book's team. And I think that's something that's very clearly still being figured out. And with that, I think there's important roles for Sterling and Dante in particular. I just think even the best version of Dante, if Dante takes major strides, the best version of him should probably have the ball a lot, should take quite a lot of shots. And why in God's name would you want that player like on the floor necessarily with your starters? Like, why would you want that player playing too much with Giannis or playing too much with Middleton or Bledsoe? You know, when those three guys are on the floor, I don't really want anyone else creating or the ball in their hands. Maybe it comes to a point where that changes, but I don't think we're going to get there very soon. And in fact, that kind of player would be incredibly useful in the minutes where they're not on the floor. And that literally played out. When the books turned things around against the Magic, as I've already brought up a couple of times, Bud took all of the starters out. And what happened? Dante DiVincenzo soared. So I think it could be important as becoming becoming the team sixth man and becoming the team sixth man mm-hmm. in the traditional understanding of players who win sixth man of the year. Not in terms of importance, that's George Hill. But if you're asking me, could the books do with their own version of a Lou Williams or a Jamal Crawford? Even better, one who you know, cares about defense that can defend? The answer to that is yes. I just don't think that's a seamless fit by any means with the book starters, where I think Sterling can slot in there, do what he does best, but also do very little if that's what's required of him. Basically stay out of the way when Giannis has it going, when Chris has it going. I don't know if Dante's capable of staying out of the way. No. <laughs> I don't think I don't think if that's part of his game. So, I mean... Dante could be really important as the year goes on, and if he continues to play well and he gets even better, having a guy who can offer major offense off the bench, very valuable. He has literally been a sixth man type guy on a championship winning team before. I think Sterling is more important, though, if he's the player who can mesh with the starters to get the best out of those players. Because in the end, the book season isn't going to hinge on how good is Dante DiVincenzo? It's going to hinge on how can they maximize Giannis and Chris and Bledsoe and even, I guess, Brooke to a lesser extent too. Agreed. Um, related question that we have kind of answered, but from at Wesley Bill, will Dante or Sterling get a chance at starting soon? I guess we haven't quite answered it. Maybe a little bit earlier in the pod. How's Wes Matthew's ankle feeling? Is my answer to this question. I I don't think he gets the either one gets a chance to. It's even going to be interesting to see um, against the Timberwolves and against the Clippers, and as this kind of road trip and the next couple of weeks go on, like just what happens with those minutes? Because both those guys were basically out of the rotation. Sterling was picking up a few cleanup minutes here or there, um, but if like Pat was being held out as a precaution for his shoulder thing the other night. I mean, so if Pat's back in the rotation then, and if Wes is healthy, how is the balance between those four guys going to work? I mean, the the logical answer is it can't, but what way that plays out is interesting. And also Corver, I mean, um, would both of those got in the game against the Magic if it wasn't Corver's night off because it was a back-to-back and he was going to play the next night? So... 
there's a lot to figure out there. Um, and I do think it's probably still wide open, as in if we're to take the longer view between who falls at what point in the rotation. Possibly any one of those five guys could start at some point and could also possibly be out of the rotation completely. Yeah. Um... I, I don't think it will happen soon, is the answer to the question. But all it could take is, like we saw... Pat picks up a knock and both of those guys get some more opportunity. Corver has the night off, so they play more. Um, Wes gets injured against the Raptors, so again, there's even more minutes. I mean, Dante was the major benefactor on that occasion. Like, if things like that keep popping up and they keep further asserting themselves, they could push themselves right towards the front of the queue of that five. But whether that translates to a starting lineup change... I don't know. Like part of me feels like that's the thing that needs to happen right now, and the other part of me feels for Bud to make it happen right now, they might need to go on a pretty bumpy run for a while longer. And I'd also just rather that didn't happen for all of our collective sanity. Yeah. I mean it's we kinda of saw last year, you know, Pac has a um or Sterling started the season hurt, so he was out of the rotation. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well. He didn't get early minutes. Uh, Pat has a horrible shooting spell. He falls out of the rotation. People pick it up. I mean, it's going to kind of be what we saw last year. This kind of revolving door. Who has who's kicking on when other guys are kind of falling behind and all that stuff. And obviously, you have more older guys with Wes and Kai or and Corver, so there are going to be maybe some rest days involved. But it's gonna. It's definitely going to be. There's going to be a lot of moving parts in this situation, no doubt. The next question from from at Bantering Books. What record would the Books need over this four-game road trip for it to be considered a success? Uh, at least three and one for me to consider it a success. I mean, I think it can be fine at two and two. That's all it would be. Would be, okay, fine. But to be a success, to feel like we've gained ground, it's got to be three and one. Um, and honestly, their ambition should be to go 4-0. and There's no reason not to go 4-0. and I mean, I think they've got the beating of this Jazz team. I know that doesn't happen in Salt Lake City. Um, I think I think that will come to an end this week. I think the Bucs will win away to the Jazz. Um, the Clippers are really, really good. But guess what? The Bucs are really, really good, and they should be thinking that way. There's no reason for them not to believe they can win all four. In some ways, I feel like the Timberwolves really could have been a potential banana skin. Um, the way I just said that in the past tense is setting this up for people listening on Tuesday morning after the Timberwolves have blown out the books. Um, but where I was going with this is Towns missing that game is, you know, a pretty significant help because the way these things work is <laughs> it's usually not the games that you expect them to lose. that They lose, you know, <laughs> they'll probably beat one. If not both of the really good teams and they may just let one slip against the other two. Could be OKC. Who knows? It could be. Um, they haven't, they don't, they don't do well away to the thunder either for quite a while. Well, that's not true. The year before they did with the, with a, we'll say a very significant piece of help from the officials, if you remember that whole out of bounds <laughs> thing at the end of the game. Um, yeah, my answer is three and one. Would you agree with that? I don't think you put two and two as a success. It's kind of like par for the course, right? Yeah, yeah. Three and one is definitely success. Two and two is par for the course. 
Um, from OGGZ, what needs to be cleaned up the most to kill these third quarter issues? I mean, for me, it's simple. It's, again, back to what we talked about earlier, it's purely a mental thing. It's like, got to fix your mentality for third quarters. You've got to dig into what's making it different to other portions of the game. Um, like, this is when you look at quarter to quarter. I mean, particularly with the exception of the fourth quarter, because things can get different in the fourth quarter. Execution at the end of a game can be different. I think for the other three, if you're able to do something in the first quarter or the second quarter, you should also be able to do it in the third quarter. Particularly if you could do it in the first, you should be able to do it in the third, because largely your rotations should match. And the books have had good first quarters and then come out with the same group and had terrible third quarters. So... It's not like, oh, you're doing something that doesn't work entirely. It's that you were playing in a way that was making this work earlier on. You're not now. Is there variance in that? Can the other team kind of pick things up and enforce their will in a different way? Sure. But I, I do think a big part of that just has to be like how you approach it and deal with it yourself. How the books go about playing. So for me, the mentality in third quarters is the thing they need to be considering. Yeah, I mean, it would be helpful to hit shots in the third quarter to to solve their woes. I mean, start. We talked about the starting lineup, all that stuff. Like, it's just we've seen them get out to these big leads, as you talked about, and just sustaining that. It wasn't a problem for them last year. For some reason, it, it's been a problem for them this year. Um, and yeah, just kind of having more complete performances because we can't really say they've had a complete performance so far this season. No, they definitely haven't. From uh, Pablo Calzada 9, what's wrong with DJ Wilson? Is Bud waiting for son or Giannis to be injured? Maybe back-to-back? Question mark. I don't mean this to sound as smart as it is going to come out, but what's right with DJ Wilson? Why should he be pay- playing over Urson, who some ups and downs, but has generally been pretty good? Um, or certainly, even when Yanis is struggling, I mean, we'd all be calling for Bud's head if all of a sudden he's like, huh, Yanis doesn't quite have it here. DJ Wilson, you're up. I mean, the, the, the player who really, I think, factors into this conversation is Robin Lopez. And it's just... It's at what point do you kind of consider different backup options or distributing your minutes in a different way and having kind of an inbuilt small ball section of your rotation from night to night where DJ could come in and I say small ball, I mean the books could have a a big ball, small ball <laughs> sort of thing where they have Giannis, Ersan and DJ share the court together um, in lieu of a traditional center. I mean, I I don't know why DJ will be playing right now through six games. It's tough. He's at maybe the toughest spot on the roster because, you know, that starter is not going anywhere. There is nope. there is no drop in that player's minutes. And if Ursan's production does drop and drop consistently, I think he will come in and he will get minutes. Ursan's been pretty good. Ursan's shooting the ball pretty well and. Um, has actually looked a little bit more spry defensively than I've seen him for a long time. Some of those hustle plays, I'm not talking about like just He's taking charges. People. He blocked Kyle Lowry twice. Yeah, it, it's also, you see him diving on the floor? Wasn't that against the 
the Magic, or was it the Raptors game? I think it was the Magic, where he dived on the floor for a loose ball, and then he got up, and he sprinted down the floor first to get on the end of a Bledsoe pass and finish off the move, and then he let out, like, a guttural roar of emotion that was just very unearthed on. You're like, okay. Um, another player, great World Cup. Um, one poor game, which ultimately cost mm-hmm. him and his country a chance at everything in it, but a great World Cup. Um, and has carried over certainly some of that into the new season. So I just think it's tough for DJ right now. Um, he will get a chance, though. It's much like we just saw things that broke that way. So Sterling and Dante got their opportunity. He will get an opportunity for something like that at some point. Um, hopefully it's not for Moriana's foul trouble. That's certainly one way that he could um, obviously come into some opportunity down the road. But... He will get his chance. He just needs to be as ready to seize it with both hands as those two guys have been at the wing spots. From at Cowboy Space, even with everyone freaking out about our 4-2 start, I'm actually more confident that we would win a series against the Sixers as they've shown to suck at trees like expected and bully for rebounds and points in the paint. Am I crazy to think that our bigs match up really well in that battle? Um, My take on the Sixers and on not quite the other 29 teams in the NBA that aren't the Bucks, but the other 23 <laughs> that aren't the Bucks or the Bucks have yet to play is I have no real take yet. You know, I haven't watched the Sixers closely and I'm not particularly interested in doing so anytime soon. Um, I've seen a few minutes of one game. I can't even remember what game that was. The Celtics game, maybe? I, I but... honestly can't remember. Um, I don't care about the Sixers now I mean I'll care a lot about the Sixers as the year goes on I don't think the Stars should do anything one way or another I don't think it should make anyone feel better or worse I mean just from looking at the numbers I would say yeah three pointers may be a problem for the Sixers at the same time Offense in some ways functioning better than expected. They're twelfth in offensive rating right now. That's honestly better than I would have pegged them for. Um, their defense is really good, but I also think it's not. It's not irrelevant that they are sixth defensively right now. I mean, they're they've a ninety nine point six defensive rating, and so much of early season kind of looks at defensive efficiency is okay. Who is going to come close to holding up the small sample defense? And your pick is probably going to be them out of it. But they're not like this. They're not this defense that the NBA has never seen, that no team is going to be able to compete with, which they were built out to be for so much of the offseason, particularly the kind of prediction season just before the year started. I spoke about this on a recent episode, but I see no reason why over the course of the year, the books can't be just as good defensively while also having it ton more offensively my understanding is that ben simmons is still ben simmons too i mean this is one thing i do know he has not transformed into something different and they are they're look they are are they the only undefeated team after the nba that feels right mm-hmm. yep they are just about getting by on that in some cases they only led for seven seconds against the trailblazers yeah it was which is the the least amount of time a team has led and won a game in the NBA in the last five years. So, 
that is a pretty <laughs> lucky win. Um, I'm not. I'm honestly. I'm just not worried or thinking about it one way or another right now. It's we're still trying to figure out. Really trying to figure out what are the 2019 20 books. So we're probably another 20 games before I really start to dive in and think about. Okay, well, what are the Sixers and how do they match up? And that might not be the most exciting answer. I'd certainly like to be able to say, you know, they're chumps. They're chumps, and there's nothing to worry about. The books are going to cruise through them in the playoffs. But at this point, I'm only really qualified to say that about teams like the Raptors, Celtics, and Heat, who are all chumps, despite the fact that two of them beat the books. <laughs> yeah, I have a sim. Yeah, I, I... You, you agree they're all chumps, Jordan? Right? Well, no. I can only hold my attention to the books at this point. I can't hold my attention to it outside. I look at the scores and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Matisse Tybel is an incredible defender. He's also hitting... 26.3% of his threes and is shooting 23.1% from the field. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we like it's confirmed. Like, they have a great defense. They Bucks actually have a higher net rating by 0.1 points per 100 possessions. Um, that's kind of interesting. But, yeah, I mean, this is a long season. Things can change both for the Bucks and for the Sixers. But, uh, it's too early. It's we're, we're still we're still yeah gathering. Our... It's so early that the Miami Heat have a league best net rating of ten point three, and the are aren't the Suns the, like third. The Suns are third. I don't get the Suns team. <laughs> well, they might just I don't know. We're we're not talking about the Suns. Yeah. Um, the Heat are chumps. <laughs> I'm doubling down on this one. They are not. They are not even remotely close to what they're presenting as early in the season. Not even close. They were not even good against the Bucks, but they are the story that everyone is grabbing onto, and people who thought they'd be good are, you know, oh yeah, let me let me tell you about how right I am. The Heat are not that good. Wait for it, Jordan. You just wait for it. I wasn't remotely impressed against them as the Bucks. Look at everything they did to try and give that game back to the Bucks. I mean, Jimmy Butler, no Jimmy Butler. The Heat are not that good. Um, yeah, I think that's all I've got on teams that aren't the books. Do you agree with that? I, mean, I don't want you to talk about it, but do you agree the Heat are not what people want to think the Heat are? Mm, I don't know. I don't oh, know. I'm so sick of I don't. Well, I truly don't know. Don't make them the new Raptors. Not... If you're unlocked on Heat all the time, we're going to have problems. <laughs> From uh, Damn Fate 1, when will Dante start and when will we get rid of Bledsoe? Um, no time soon on both counts. Yeah, no time soon on both counts. Neither should happen, by the way. Unless there's a clear Bledsoe upgrade, someone really wants Bledsoe and to give a better player on a better deal. Um, that player is not whatever 74 year old Chris Paul by the way I think Chris Paul wants to make that happen more than anyone else considering the fact that there has already been you know leaks of Chris Paul really wanted to get traded to the books I'm sure you did Chris Paul I'd also like to be traded to the books um but that is certainly not the answer so unless an actual good answer one that makes them obviously better now 
and also doesn't cripple them the second now is finished. You know, you don't just want to win now and give Giannis one title where you can go, that's great, I gave Milwaukee a title, um, but I'm out of here because I don't want to spend the next three years playing with the shell of Chris Paul. You know, if a deal presents where you get a good player now who's going to be better than Bledsoe and is going to continue to be better going forward, I don't think there's even a question. The books would do that deal. Like, I think the books will have seen enough of Bledsoe that if the right trade came up, bye-bye Bledsoe. But I can't foresee that happening. From at MK Robert, do you expect teams to continue to have success against the books pick and roll coverage? Lots of lobs and floaters hurting them thus far. Um, Jordan, you wrote about this. Um, my answer to this is a simple one, and it's absolutely not. This is this is an anomaly. This is a weird early season quirk. The books are only allowing some of the worst mm-hmm. shots in the game, and they are not going to keep falling. Floaters in particular. Uh, lobs, slightly different thing, and they are not shots the books are looking to allow by design, is, you know, lobs to centers. Um, not easy to defend them. <laughs> so you don't want to kind of set those shots up with regularity, but the floater side of it, floaters are terrible shots. There are only a few players in the NBA where you're like, they're going to make the floater over and over, and it's not going to keep falling. The books have just been on the wrong end of some of it early on. And even with that, they've only lost two games. And those two games were less about floaters and more about the books, you know, crumbling in a thousand different ways. The floaters are just a particularly offensive part of it that stands out to everyone who watched. Yeah, I mean, that's why the Cleveland game was kind of interesting in that, and obviously the Rockets game too. But, like, you have guys that are, like, athletic centers that are lob threats. I mean, that's kind of a tricky thing for the Bucks to cover, especially when if Brooke sells out for blocks or if he stays hangs back or something like that, they'll welcome the floaters. I mean, that was what a lot of largely what the Heat's like how they came back or how they just held. Uh in terms of just um Gordon Dragic made a ton of floaters. Yeah, Dragic, Kendrick Nunn, um I think there's probably even more, but like it's it's a different two different shots they're not they're they come through the same obviously process but you'd rather take the float or give the floaters than uh point blank attempts at the rim with lobs i'm not worried about the lobs either because i feel like there's an adjustment there for that and the adjustment is generally just you need to get Giannis closer to play at the rim so whether that's that he's ready to kind of come over and offer help quicker like I mean, that's really part of the secret there is if if Brooke is so far back and can't move up and there's no one behind him, it's it's kind of that's the that's the combination and the kind of tandem between your bigs. I think early on with some of what Giannis has been going through, that wouldn't be at the top of my priorities to be like, you know what, Giannis, we need to look at this. We need you and Brooke to communicate more. Um and we need to work this out. Just thinking, just having said it there, I don't think the books have communicated very well. No. Tough for us to have a handle on that, but you do hear which players are talking and which players are not when you're watching a game. Um, Best talker on the book so far? Curious, do you have the same name coming to mind? Talker? 
person you can visit you can visibly hear. see and audibly hear um instructing teammates making calls all of that sort of stuff on the defensive end pat no robin lopez um mm. haven't been crazy about a lot of what rollo's done and obviously he is one of the the newcomers that maybe doesn't necessarily have everything down pat to as it was but just watch robin lopez when he's on the floor on the defensive end and he is working hard to try and make it work um which is is interesting um and he has a really good defensive rating too his individual defense rating is 99 11.2 net rating which has probably helped with the Um, game yeah and i mean it's that's the kind of thing that right now you just kind of gotta hmm you know he's not playing that well individually but something there is working maybe that's it maybe it is he's helping to tie things together because he's talking and he's kind of being active and alive out there. That is literally what Robin Lopez's entire brand identity is. Robin Lopez, the NBA player is that he's going to talk. He's going to be active defensively. He's going to make everyone better around him. Um, So far that has kind of held up without him necessarily playing his best as an individual. Um, again, from MK, Robert, would you like to see anything done with the rotations? Different players seeing the floor, staggering the best players more? My answer to this right now is just yes. I can't put my finger on what I want to see, and I think in part that's because I, the books don't have any idea. George Hill said this in either a post-game or halftime interview. Must be during mm-hmm. the Raptors game. Maybe yeah, it was a magic game. Yeah. Um, too but he said look we we just don't know who's playing who should play with who what works best right now we're figuring all of that out and that's that's a challenge they're gonna have to continue to play around with that but i i don't have a a clear feel for that yet because i don't think they do and i think the new players who are there they don't know who they're best combined with just yet the chemistry elements of that have to work out the fit elements have to work themselves out so my answer is yes. I don't think the rotations are perfect right now, but I think it's going to require a bit more experimentation before we can really see what works best. I mean, the only lineup that both Jordan and I have spoken about on this one that we'd like to see more of is Sterling as a starter. Um, Sterling with those other four guys, that would make sense to me. No more all bench units early, please. That's that's. What about what about the Magic well, all bench? Those are, the Magic are terrible. <laughs> I don't... They are They're terrible. They, terrible. Are, they, they are bad. Don't they score. are not a good team. They just don't score. <laughs> that ah, scoring is pretty don't... terrible. <laughs> it's only, it's only half of the game. Only... Um... <laughs> 90, they have a 94.6 From, uh... offensive rating. Is... Oh, it's it's awful. They, I mean, they really can't score. But they're, they're okay defensively against teams that aren't the books. They've done well. Um, from from an MK Robert again. Did you intentionally wait for the books to have a bit of a win streak before doing a mailbag? The honest answer to that is no. Have I made other decisions in the past week based on waiting for the books to have a bit more of a win streak? Absolutely yes. I'll give one example. I'll pull back the curtain. We have a round table on Behind the Book Pass today that Jordan knows. Um, I had planned for. On at least two occasions before it actually has gone up, maybe three, and I have pulled it every time and kind of gone, yeah, <laughs> not now. We'll just we'll just wait. We'll just wait a little bit and see what happens. How about that? 
Um, so no, this was pure coincidence, but I'm aware of my uh, editorial obligations through one medium or another. Um, there are at least some of you listening to this, and maybe that's because you like Jordan and I, or you respect what we say. I'm going to guess it's more likely to be the first and the second. Um, but if we take a certain a certain tenor in our conversation, or we take certain... I'm not saying we're the world's biggest Milwaukee Books influencers, but this whole thing is an echo chamber, as we've talked about on a whole variety of occasions. And um, I would certainly say over the last week, I'd have felt a responsibility, even without having podcasted, but in articles I've written to be like, okay, let's analyze this thing that is bad, but without getting into something that is kind of baseless and an overreaction based on the whole thing. Um, and my hope would be that that's what we've achieved over the last week, and that's what our contributors on the site have achieved as well. Because, yeah, I don't think for anyone a mailbag after the Celtics loss would have been all that productive, where Jordan and I freak out because we're overly emotional about it, and everyone listening has asked completely insane questions, and then that feeds into a next round of what people are thinking about, talking about, and all of a sudden, Jordan, in Pfizer form, you can hear the buzz around the arena. Did you hear what they're talking about in winning six? It's not good. They're saying this is over. You know how it goes, right? That's, that's how it goes out. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, this is a coincidence. Although, that is not to suggest we're completely <laughs> oblivious to um, when mailbags are good ideas and when mailbags are bad ideas. Just for future reference, in case next week you're like, why isn't there a mailbag? Well, <laughs> have a look at what the books last few games have likely been, if that's the case. Um, lastly, from at Strand1052, would you describe losing big third quarter leads as lack of focus that hopefully will be corrected? Second part to the question, we continue to create big leads early. Could that be a solid indicator into the talent difference between us and the opponent? Two thumbs up for me. Um, yes, on both counts. I think lack of focus or... Yeah, I guess lack of focus will factor in either way and possibly some complacency being an issue in third quarters. And yeah, if you're just a really bad team, you're not going to be creating those big leads at all. So I think there's a big positive in that and one that deserves a little bit more attention and will undoubtedly get more of it if the Bucks can win another couple of games and start to put those two losses, you know, a bit behind them. That's when the conversation will fully swing to, now let's look at some of the good things that have happened. Um, so far this year but um, yeah I'd be yes on both counts yes on both counts as we talked about I think also I'd have to check this which I am doing now and I'm trying to buy time give me a little bit more check the schedule That's I could I could help you but I'll just leave you out there I have to schedule the front of me for a better podcast um, you could... schedule basketball reference my hat is getting higher I can't Mike, I, I I just don't even know what happened there. What are what are you I actually checking? You could just ask me. Maybe I have it here. It's pretty high. I know that. I can't remember what it is. Um, I can't find it. <laughs> your audio's your audio's distorting. Your voice has gone so high. I mean, that was just complete nonsense. Exactly. 
I couldn't understand a word of it. No one listening um, could. Okay, great. Will will we leave that point there? Okay. Eleventh. It's not as impressive of a stat. Eleventh <laughs> what? We don't know what eleventh is for. This was something that was just in your own head. It was strength of schedule. I saw something, but I guess the magic being so bad. Terrible. Brought that down. They're not terrible. They just can't score. Okay. <laughs> that does it for us for now. And uh, we will be back next week. I don't know, it's maybe even later in the week, but definitely next week. Actually, now that I think about that, we'll be back next week. <laughs> yeah, there's a big stretch. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Um, until then, make sure you check out all of our writing behind the book pass. We've got tons of stuff there every day. Um, if there's a gap in our schedule, podcast-wise, a lot of the time that's because we've got a lot of writing to do. So you can, you can, you still get mine and Jordan's thoughts literally every single day of the year. So never feel like we've just you know left you on an island there. You can find us at bindablepass.com. Um, to get more of us in podcast forms, just subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, add us and sit your favorites on TuneIn Radio. Until the next time, thanks very much for all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.